I have a special appreciation for our next guest because he came down to the studio to sit with us. Uh, it's an honor to have a United States senator, a sitting United States senator in our studio, Senator J.D. Vance. It is so good to see you. By the way, first of all, welcome. Thank, Thank you for you. coming. You made a huge fan. You got a, you, I mean, she already supported you, but she's an even bigger fan now uh, in uh, Mrs. France. Okay. When we were when we were at the Tucker Carlson event a few weeks back, in which he was in town uh, helping to support uh, the No One Issue One campaign to try to stop the radical abortion legislation or amendment, constitutional amendment, from going through. As we were leaving the event, you were just getting your car brought around, uh, and uh, and you got out of your car to come over and greet her and shake her hand. She thought that was so very kind and genuine and sincere, and I did too. Uh, I was, you know, because you and I had spoken already. You saw I was standing there with my wife waiting for our car, and you came out and said hi to her, and that meant the world to her. And I and I could tell it wasn't shaking hands and kissing babies type stuff for votes. You know who she is. You know sure. you know what we are. But that was very very, um, very very impressive. And I and I think your personal appeal to people is really coming out. So I want to thank you on her behalf. Well, I appreciate that, Bob. I mean, I think a lot of uh, a lot of this is just being a normal person. And you know, I've talked to you a lot. I like you. Um, and when you know somebody and like somebody, you want to meet their family. And I had yeah. never met your wife, so I just wanted to go shake her hand, say hello. So I'm glad she appreciated the gesture, but uh, nothing, nothing, thought nothing of it. Well, what I did think a lot of is the fact that you were there and you presented and you spoke at that same event in which Tucker, of course, keynoted uh, with a phenomenal address uh, there on behalf of, uh, of you know, Protect Women Ohio and, and Ohio Right to Life and so on and so forth. We're four days away now yep. from November 7th. Issue one is, according to polling, going to win it is going to pass um i don't think it's carved in stone yet i'm seeing some signs of momentum on the no one issue on issue one sign but but yeah. where are you our side i should say where are you on this four days out and what last minute appeal can you give to those who are maybe undecided yeah so look i don't think it's carved in stone at all we've always going to we were always going to have an uphill climb and i think we have a real shot here i think there are signs of momentum i've seen some polling that suggests that things are closing pretty tightly and importantly, that issue one, yes, has not hit that 50 percent threshold, which means there's a lot of undecided voters out there. So I do think that we have a chance. Get out there and vote. Uh, this is not a foregone conclusion. If you believe that it is, that's how we ultimately lose. Here, here's my basic pitch. Look, first of all, if you're pro-life like I am, you want to save as many babies as possible. Clearly, you should vote no on issue one. That's easy. But I think even if you're pro-choice, even if you think that there should be some ability to have an abortion in the state of Ohio, I think there are a few different reasons why issue one is a huge, huge mistake. Number one, let's say, God forbid, a 15-year-old girl who has an unplanned pregnancy, we want the, their mom to be in the room with them when they have to make this decision. We want parents to have the ability to be notified, to have some role in the healthcare decisions of their kid. Issue one takes that away from people. That's why you should be vote on, you should be a no on issue one. Number two, Let's say you're pro-choice, but you think there should be some limits. You shouldn't be able to abort a baby at 30 weeks. You shouldn't be able to abort a baby after the baby can feel pain. Maybe you think there should be some exceptions in cases of life with the mother or rape, but you don't want taxpayer-funded abortion up to the moment of birth. Issue one takes that away from people. It enshrines taxpayer-funded abortion really up to the moment of birth into the United, or into the Ohio Constitution. So I really think even if you are pro-choice, most people I know who are pro-choice they want some limits on abortion. They want some ability for the legislature to be able to to make it a requirement that parents are involved in the health care decisions of their kids. Issue one takes all of that away, which is why I encourage even people who don't see eye to eye with me on the abortion issue. I think you should still be no on issue one. You know, the the world isn't actually lived on Twitter. Many people think it is or X. Uh, 
and and I go by that for just to kind of get a pulse of, of of Ohioans right now. And the the yes on issue one side just continues to call people like you, people like me, liars. Yeah, they're saying that um, there's nothing in that bill, there in that uh, in that constitutional amendment, in that language that says you can abort up to the moment of birth. Part- partial birth abortions are illegal anyway. A federal ban on those things. And there's nothing that says parents don't have a say. And if you look at just the lines of the legislation or the amendment, they're right. But what you have to do is read between those lines. It's not what it says, what is not said. When it doesn't say woman, which is defined as an adult female, and it says individual, that means it can be applied to minors. When it, you know, same thing with the parental rights, same thing with the the transing situation. If you read reproductive rights as being every step of the reproductive rights thing. When you transition and take puberty blockers, you are essentially making yourself sterilized. You're going to be infertile. That's a reproductive decision, and individuals can make that decision. So how do you respond to those who are saying you're lying because it doesn't say specifically in the amendment language that parents can't have a say and that this applies to gender transitioning and so on and so forth? Well, let me say a few things. First of all, uh, the amendment talks about viability as being the threshold. Nobody really knows what viability means. That is not an easily defined term. You could easily have a court define that up to the moment of birth, which is why I say that I think issue one will enshrine abortion up to the moment of birth. There's well, another. But, but just, just quickly on Please. that, they, it goes past that, though, because it says even after the point of viability, an abortion may be granted if in the opinion of the provider, exactly. which is the abortionist, that the mother needs it for her health. And that can mean emotional health, health psychological health, financial health, et cetera. No, so, that, that's exactly right, Bob. So this gets into another issue. When people talk about the health of the mother, I think what most normal people think, understandably so, is you have a situation where, God forbid, the baby is just not viable, and we don't want to force a woman to carry a baby to term that's, that's already, you know, again, God forbid, already not living inside of her. That's what most people think, and absolutely that is a reasonable position to have. What this amendment will do in practice, when it's interpreted especially by, you know, very, very uh, liberal courts, in practice it will say that if you would face emotional distress by delivering a 36-week-old baby, then you can have an abortion. Well, look. Emotional distress is in the eye of the beholder, and when the eye of the beholder is the abortionist's eye, then you are effectively throwing open the gates to no limits on abortion under any circumstance. Now, here's the final point I make about this. This, this abortion amendment is framed by its advocates. Again, we want to be no on issue one, but it's framed by the yes campaign as giving people the right to make decisions about abortion. But in reality, what it will do is it will enshrine an incredibly broad and incredibly poorly defined amendment into the Ohio Constitution. Then the courts get to make these decisions about what issue one really means. We know in the past they interpret this stuff broadly, but that's not giving people the power. That's giving judges the power to decree radical abortion policies for the entire state of Ohio. It's a bad deal for the state, and if you don't like what Ohio is doing on abortion, we should, you know, Elect new legislatures. Write to your state senator, to your state representative, and say, we would like a change. I think putting this in the Ohio Constitution, taking it out of the hands of the state legislature, really putting it into the hands of some radical judges, it's a bad deal for the state of Ohio and goes way, way too far. The the, the other thing I'll ask you about this is the uh, yes on issue one ads that continue to run. They continue to be completely dishonest, not even deceptive, just straight up lying, yep. saying that. This the you have to vote yes on issue one to stop Ohio's extremely restrictive abortion ban. 
that if you get pregnant and you need you know care for a miscarriage or ectopic or anything else, you can't get it. You have to have the baby. If you get pregnant uh, uh, the, uh, in your rape, if you're a rape victim, you can't get rid of the baby. You have to carry your baby to term because of Ohio's restrictive abortion ban. There is no abortion ban in place right now. The one that was passed and signed into law, you know, which is the heartbeat law, is, is currently in court. We have no idea whether it's going to be allowed to be in or not. Um, and yet they're telling us that it exists. Um, and they're also suggesting that if you're raped, you, you can't have an abortion under any circumstances. Even if the heartbeat law does exist, if the court says it can exist, you have six weeks. And I would imagine that anybody minor or otherwise, who suffers a rape, that at some point in six weeks would, would, would take a pregnancy test and find out if they were indeed impregnated by the act and therefore still be able to act accordingly under that law. So the ban is not what they say it is. No, that's exactly right, Bob. There's a ton of dishonesty here, mm-hmm. and they're trying to sell this thing as, as effectively what you said. Their argument is if you're an 11-year-old girl and, God forbid, you're raped, you have to carry the baby to term under Ohio's law. That is not Ohio's law. Even if the courts uphold the current statutory provisions in Ohio, that is not the law in the state of Ohio. The case that everybody talks about, and this came up during our Senate campaign, of this terrible situation of a 10-year-old girl who was raped and became pregnant, what nobody mentions, who's sort of using this as the, as the perfect test case for the pro-choice side, what nobody mentions is that, number one, she was raped by an illegal alien, a person who never should have been in this in this country in the first place. That's huge. Number two, they were trying to procure an abortion, arguably, to cover up the crime. You had a little girl who was being preyed on by an illegal alien. They were procuring an abortion in another state. The problem here is that you have an illegal alien raping a 10-year-old girl and trying to procure an abortion. Why weren't, we, why weren't law enforcement officials notified the day after this happened? That, that is the problem here is a little girl who was preyed upon. The fact that they're using her case mm-hmm. to try to advance abortion up to the moment of birth is really sick stuff. It really is. And uh, we didn't even address the issue of pain capability at 15 weeks, weeks which, I, I, again, I cannot imagine the giddiness and the excitement of people to say, yes, we made it legal to kill babies after they can feel themselves being dismembered and the things that go on. And I'm sorry for being graphic, but no, we, no, have to Bob, face, this, we have to face what it is. But this is a really important point here. If you take, take the, the Ohioans, the Americans who describe themselves as pro-choice, they believe in a right to an abortion. I'm pro-life. We can have that moral disagreement. Right. Even the people who describe themselves as pro-choice, they don't want to have abortions after the baby can feel pain. They don't want partial birth abortion. They don't think that you should be able to walk into a doctor's office 35 weeks pregnant and claim emotional distress and then abort your baby. Now, the other argument these guys make is this never happens, right? Nobody ever walks into a doctor's office 35 weeks pregnant and wants to abort a healthy baby. And God, I, I wish that was true, but it's not, Bob. We, we know there's data out there from the Guttmacher Institute, which, by the way, is a pro-abortion organization. There are 8,000 purely elective abortions, late-term abortions that happen in this country every single year. That is post-viability. That is no reason to abort the baby other than the mom or the, the dad want to, that is not humane health care. That is not pro-choice. That's not even, remember, Bill Clinton used to say safe, legal, and rare. That is radical pro-abortion policy, and these guys are trying to write it into the Ohio Constitution. Vote no one if you want to prevent them from doing it. Perfectly so. well stated. Con- uh, Senator um, uh, J.D. Vance is our guest in our studios here. I was prepping for the conversation today, and last night I was looking up an issue on Article 2, or excuse me, an article in Issue 2, beg your pardon, Headline, Brown supports issue two while Vance remains silent. 
<laughs> and I have I, I I didn't find anything to disprove that. Have you spoken out about issue two and where you sit on that? So I have. I'm I'm a no on issue two, just to be clear. Good. Um, and I, I I mean, what's weird about that article is I've given a few interviews where they ask me about issue two, and I always say I'm no on issue two. And maybe they just haven't published the interviews. You know, you never know. Maybe you so. give an interview and you never know what actually uh, goes goes to press. Here's my argument against issue two. Look, I, I'm sort of one of these guys. I'm 39 years old. If you're caught with a joint, I don't think you should be thrown in prison for it, even though I think, you know, I, I strongly discourage my friends and, and family to smoke marijuana, okay? I think that its side effects are much more significant than people let on, but, like, whatever. If you're caught with a joint, you should not get thrown in prison. Of course. For it. Here's what I also think. I'd like to be able to take my kid out to dinner in Cleveland or Cincinnati or Columbus and not just be overwhelmed with the smell of weed when you walk down the street, Okay. You go to the places that have recreational marijuana, Denver, Colorado, San Francisco, California, and it becomes like an open-air drug market. There are no limits. There are no exceptions. It's not do whatever you want to do in the safety of your home. It's in your face everywhere. That's why I'm a no-on issue, too. I want people to not bring this everywhere that kids walk around, play. I want to be able to go to my job. I want to be able to do normal things without being slammed in the face with the smell of weed. I'm glad you brought up the kid aspect of that, too, because every single pediatric hospital and doctor that talks about this, that knows about this, will tell you about the effect of marijuana on, on kids yes. and, and because of their preformative brains. They're literally losing brain function. You know, m- brains don't, don't fully form until mid-20s for, for females, late-20s for males. Or even later. <laughs> In many cases, yeah. And and they're talking about this, and this is going to tell kids that you know what drugs are okay. Yes. If one drug is okay, you think they're going to stop and say just that one? Of course not. Yep. They're going to be they're going to get into many other things, and the availability of it is going to be more than ever before. Because at least now there's a there's a there's a chance that if I buy drugs, I'm going to get caught and I'm going to be in trouble. You legalize it, they're going to get it not from the dispensaries and pay the uh, the the the, ta- the you know the hiked uh, tax uh, tax price. They're going to get it from the dealers, and there's going to be even more of those undercutting the cost of the dispensary. So it's just going to put more weed in more hands and make it more, you know, easier for for people to access, including kids. I would hope that people would be concerned about that. I would hope so too, Bob. I mean, we've run this experiment a number of times. We have recreational marijuana in a number of states. What do you see? You see traffic incidents go up, traffic fatalities go up, increased usage, especially among young kids. That's not a good thing for the state of Ohio. Look, we, we just went through two years where a lot of kids were denied a good education. Are we going to further make it hard for kids to get ahead, to learn, to focus, to do well at school? That's what this is going to do. I know a lot of people just say, look, live and let live. You do it in your house. I do what I, I want to do in my house. In reality, this will throw it out into the community. It will make it very hard to control. That will be very hard for our kids. Glad to hear that you're a no on two, like I said, because not enough people are getting that message. So no on issue one, no on issue two. Let's talk about Senate business now. You are also no on economic aid to Gaza. Yeah. Uh, you had a you had a pretty good showdown there with uh, it was Margaret Brennan I think on That's CBS right. and she was telling you but what about all of the Palestinian children? Uh, tell us why you don't want aid to go to to, uh, to the Gaza Strip. Well, I'll tell you what I, I told her, Bob. If I could wave a magic wand and give food medicine to Palestinian children, I would. Of course, there are a lot of innocent Palestinian kids who are getting caught up in this, but we know on the ground that when we deliver aid to Gaza, Hamas ends up taking it. They are the governing force in the Gaza territory. They control everything. They control the logistics. They control the military, the way that equipment moves. I don't want to send food and medicine to Palestinian children that ends up just further fueling the war effort against Israel, right? Are we going to fund both sides of this conflict? We're going to support the Hamas fighters, and we're going to support the Israelis? 
that seems like a very, very stupid idea for the American taxpayer. And I, by the way, as a pro-Israel guy, a very, very bad deal for the, the Israeli allies. So uh, this is a really terrible idea. I think that we need to be careful about how we support um, our, our friends in Israel, of course, but we need to do it, in my view. We need to make sure it actually happens, and we need to not support this war in a way that just sends resources to Hamas. Yeah, and Hamas, um, you know, it's been reported even by the New York Times that Hamas has stockpiled food and water and all kinds of, of, of necessities that the Palestinian people or the Gazan people could use, and they stored in underground tunnels for their own use, and they starve out their own people. Absolutely. And that's because they have literally said, uh, the, you know, the leader of Hamas has said, we need the blood of men, women, and children uh, in Gaza to, to be spilled so that we can, what was it, advance and revive our revolutionary spirit against Israel. Yeah. This so. is the explicit strategy. It is to put <clears throat> men, women, and children, innocence, in the face of the war effort, and when they inevitably get killed and injured, to use them as propaganda, propaganda. both for their own war and their own population, but also for European allies of Israel, for American allies of Israel. They're trying to break the resolve here. And look, I, I think we have got to give some flexibility to our Israeli friends here. They've been dealing with this problem much longer than we have. The war is not even two weeks old. They've already made significant progress, actually. They've, they've cut North Gaza and South Gaza in half. And North Gaza, of course, is sort of the basis of Hamas. So we ought to let them try to root out this terrorist organization, support them as they do it, obviously offer intelligence support and 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 counsel when we think that they're doing the right thing or the wrong thing. But we've got to give these guys some flexibility to accomplish their effort here. So no Gazan aid because Hamas is going to take it. I am right. with you. $14.3 billion in Israeli aid. At least that's what was passed by the House yesterday. Um, will it get through the Senate? And and I want you to answer this, too, because you, like many others, including myself, are done sending money to Ukraine. Yep. They're going to say, why Israel, not Ukraine? Where do you come down? Well, first of all, I've made this point before. Israel is a totally separate country from Ukraine. It has an achievable objective. It's one of our most important allies, and it's asking for much, much less money than Ukraine, which has already received $120 billion and is yeah. now asking for $60 billion on top of it. So these are fundamentally different issues, and I think at the very least we should be debating them separately. Now, I would support and I, will, I plan to vote for the $14 billion aid package to Israel. We have to remember here that what Speaker Johnson did was actually very smart. He actually paid the bills for once, right? He passed $14 billion of aid to Israel, but he paid for it by cutting $14 billion out of the IRS budget. I think that's a good deal for America and, of course, a good deal for allies. You asked the question, will it pass in the Senate? It's a very tough question to answer, Bob, because unfortunately we have way too many establishment Republicans who would like to tie Israel to Ukraine because they realize that it gives political cover for a very unpopular Ukraine policy. And I don't get it, man, but a lot of these guys are obsessed with sending $60 billion to Ukraine, and I think they're willing to hold up $14 billion of aid to Israel as hostage. They're literally willing to take the Israeli support hostage for $60 billion in Ukraine. I think we have to push back against it. I think this is going to be the fight in Washington over the next two weeks. We should not be holding Ukraine, or excuse me, we should not be holding Israel, Israel hostage to $60 billion for Ukraine. Whatever you believe on the, on the Israel question, they're separate issues, and we should not be combining them into this massive spending package. Sad to say, Republican leadership, including Leader McConnell, are on that side of things, and I wonder whether or not he's going to whip up votes against the 14.3 unless it is added to uh, a Ukrainian package. Um, speaking of the Senate, the first senator, to my understanding, has indeed now called for a ceasefire. Senator Dick Durbin uh, said we need to have a ceasefire, and Joe Biden, as of yesterday, has warned 
that Israel's support might be eroding. Hurry up and get on with it and get it done because support is eroding uh, in the rest of the world for them. So he tries to say, does Joe Biden, that our support for Israel is unequivocal, and then he equivocates like you couldn't even believe. Your thoughts on both the ceasefire call from Durban and whether that will add names to it? Uh, yeah, and I've already seen some Democratic senators uh, join in with Senator Durbin. Look, this is a very dangerous time for the people of Israel, and we have to be honest about this. And I guess my pitch is, number one, on the actual substance of the policy, it is ridiculous to expect people who lost 1,400 of their own citizens just two weeks ago who are a week and a half into a ground incursion to Gaza to already be calling for a ceasefire. They have an objective When you have friends, you trust your friends, we should let them accomplish that objective. That's on the policy. But look, we we have to be very careful here, Bob, because we're seeing one of the oldest bipartisan issues in the country was support for the state of Israel. The recognition that we got a lot out of our support for Israel. They provided intelligence. They provided technology, things that we benefited from in this country. You're already seeing evidence that the Democratic Party is no longer unified in its support of one of America's most important allies. And I guess my, my pitch to my friends who are pro-Israel, whether they're, they're Jewish or not, whether they're in this country or not, my pitch would be we're seeing evidence that the Democrats are abandoning the state of Israel. We need to be really careful here, hold their feet to the fire, but not pretend that Joe Biden and Dick Durbin are friends to Israel when they're calling for a ceasefire a week and a half into this operation. We are 10 days into it, Bob. It's crazy to me that these people are already waffling. You know, um, Senator Vance... A ceasefire indicates that both sides agree to stop firing. I cannot believe that Senator Durbin made that call and so many others on the House side, what we call the Hamas squad or the Hamas caucus. It's much bigger than the actual quote-unquote squad. They don't seem to understand that Hamas has not agreed to a ceasefire. As a matter of fact, Hamas has said no ceasefire. Quoting Ghazi Hamad, member of the Hamas Politburo, October 24th, so it's a week ago, we must teach Israel a lesson and we will do this again and again. The October 7th operation to slaughter defenseless Israelis is, quote, just the first time. There will be a second, a third, and a fourth. That's what a ceasefire means to Hamas. When Israel lays down their weapons, we plan the next October 7th, and the one after that, and the one after that. How can anybody ignore those those statements from Hamas that, no, we're not going to agree to a ceasefire? And by the way, maybe they're sending people over across the southern border to do the same thing here, right? This is is really a worldwide phenomenon here. We're seeing the rise of Islamic terrorism for the first time in 20 years. Uh, Thank you for calling it that. Most people are are, are taking the Islamic part of this out of the equation. They're seeing it as a territorial dispute, not a religious ideological dispute. It is absolutely not. And and, and look, you, you raise the perfect question. If Israel agrees to a ceasefire tomorrow, what happens? Do we think, like, peace breaks out, we're singing Kumbaya and throwing out white doves everywhere? No. Hamas is going to attack Israel a week later, two weeks later. You cannot possibly expect the Israelis to lay down their arms 10 days into this process when Hamas is still saying they want to kill their civilians. Here's another thing, Bob. Like, I harp on this a lot. Statesmanship. Statesmanship is recognizing where your allies and where your own population actually is. Joe Biden cannot possibly expect the Israeli government to lay down their arms 10 days into this, given what just happened to them. If your advice to your allies is not rooted in political reality, set to the side that it's stupid advice. Why is he even giving the advice when the entire country of Israel is unified behind rooting out Hamas? 
He needs to let our friends actually take care of business. You used the word maybe a few minutes ago, talking about uh, it's going to happen here in the United States as well because of the southern border. I think there's no maybe about it. We got a report from the San Diego Customs and Border Patrol front uh, that that said absolutely Hamas and Hezbollah, specifically, not just saying Arabs who may be, but Hamas and Hezbollah fighters are absolutely coming across that border. We know this for a fact now. The question is, is exactly when are they going to strike, not if. Almost all of the intelligence agencies agree on this, yet... The president and his party continue the open door asylum catch and release policy. Is it going to take an explosion in a Capitol building or something uh, on the scale of or slightly less than 9-11 for them to realize this? Bob, it is the craziest thing. I try to understand. I really try to understand where the other side is coming from. I don't assume that I know everything. The Biden border invasion is the worst set of policies I have ever seen from an administration. He is actively inviting lawlessness, drugs terrorism, sex trafficking into the country, and they're not doing anything about it. This is not rocket science, okay? Some problems are hard, right? This is not rocket science. You need to put people at the border who tell the guys who are trying to cross illegally, go back and go through the proper channels. And they are not willing to do that. They are inviting people. They're actually fighting. We we, we sent a letter to the uh, CFPB about this yesterday, I believe, Bob. They are fighting banks from who don't want to lend to illegal aliens. They're actually trying to prevent banks from not lending to illegal aliens. This is crazy. It's not even we're facilitating the invasion. We're not going to tell American financial institutions they have to lend money to these guys after they break America's laws. It's insane. And yes, Bob, I fear we're not going to get pushback until either we get a new president, uh, which we get an opportunity to do that in about a year, or until some very significant tragedy happens in our country. God forbid. I hope it doesn't happen. But we are in a very tough spot. Well, Senator Vance, I know you are one of the very few who are speaking out about uh, about that against in the issue of banks lending to illegals. I'm so glad that you are doing that, and I'm glad you're doing so many of the things you are doing. We didn't get a chance to get into the uh, no mask mandates and the transportation bill. That's a great amendment, too. You're doing great work, Senator Vance. I know you got a tight schedule today, so we have to let you loose. Thank you for coming into the studio. Thank you for doing what you're doing. I think Ohio uh, made the right decision when they made you our, our newest senator, and I think you are uh, rewarding them with some terrific work. Thank you so much. Thanks, Bob. No one is you one. And on issue two.